0: Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. information about Redemption Church please visit redemptionokc.com you can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes thanks again for listening we are going to be talking about speech today uh, we're going to be skipping around the book of Proverbs you can if you want to turn there and try to follow along we're going to start off in Proverbs 18 and so you can turn there if you want to but let me start with just an amazing fact about our world. My dad has been to Ecuador, I don't know, 55 or so times. And one of the times, uh, Ecuador is, happens to be situated on the equator, oddly enough. Um, but right there on the equator, if you go and you visit the equator, um, I'm told, my dad's a deep thinker and really likes to reflect on life. And he shared with me this brilliant bit of information that if you, if you go to the bathroom, right on top of the equator, that the water goes straight down. But if you go to one side of the equator, and you flush, the water will turn one way. If you go to the other side of the equator and flush, the water reverses course and goes the other way. Uh, Now, I want you to know if you're new, this is kind of deep level thinking you're going to get here. Uh, This is important stuff for us to, to think about and to understand, but it's pretty fascinating when you think about just that simple bit of a shift can reverse course. I can't, How do you, I can't do that. Like make my hands go in different directions. It's like the bubble gum and rub your stomach and fat your head thing. I'm not capable. But if you step on one side of the equator, water reverses course. Something that's so simple, a tiny little shift can make everything else change. Now, as we talk about speech, you think about this, like I could go for the really easy joke and talk about us all being potty mouths, but not gonna go there, not gonna do that. So uh, let me tell you the point of why I tell you that story. Sometimes a really small change can make a really big difference in your life. Sometimes a really small shift can make a big impact or influence your life in a tremendous way. And we are talking about our speech and I think it's important for us to think about this because it, we actually need to make some significant alterations to our reality. And I think there's never been a time where, where possibly this is even more difficult than ever. We live in what's known as, uh, and I think this is incredibly important in this time, but we're living in a moment of history that some are calling the age of outrage. And our speech is on display full uh, kind of 24-7, 365, there, there's never a time where our speech is not, uh, not be, kind of being fully on display, put out there, and there's a digital record of everything we say that, that follows us and stays with us. I think it's wise for us to think about the things that we communicate and the things that we say. You know, when I was a kid, teenagers, can I say this? When I was a kid and I said something stupid I know that's hard for you to imagine where you are, but it did happen. And whenever I said something stupid, the, the beautiful thing about that was like the two friends that were hanging out with me would laugh at me, but then they would forget about it. And it almost certainly went away. Man, for you guys, you say something dumb and there's like a screenshot that's archived in the world's history that's there forever. And it never goes away. And I can't imagine what that is like, to be a teenager and to think about your speech and have those things that are there, but a seemingly small difference, a small thing in our lives can make a difference for a long time. Now, of course, the Bible's talked about this for thousands of years. You're going back to Proverbs and you see the wisdom of this, you go back to a book like James and James says, it's amazing that a small rudder can turn an incredibly large shipping vessel that there can be a tiny little rudder and a, a, a small or slight shift in it can shift the course of the entire vessel. We know that uh, we also see that a, a bit can turn a horse's mouth. And, and you think of the, the size and the power and the strength of a horse. And yet this tiny little bit can tweak just a little bit and it can alter the course of a horse. Words are powerful for good or bad. In fact, Proverbs eighteen twenty one says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Such a simple statement, but so much that we need to think about. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now you don't think of your tongue as being that powerful, and yet scripture shows us the tremendous responsibility that we have in our hands, or rather in our mouths. That this little thing that, that, that makes these strange movements and allows sound to be shaped within our voices is powerful enough to bring life and death to those that are around. And here's what's interesting. The thing about your tongue is, it's not just a tongue that's, that's kind of separated, isolated from you. Like it's, it's attached, right? I mean, like it's right there. Like, you know, it's there. Like you can't take, and so the thing about that is you can't blame it and say, oh, it's just my mouth. That's sort of, I'm just running off at the mouth. But that's a part of you. That it means it's, you have a tremendous responsibility that you have the power of life and death in your possession that you need to manage. Now, I think, let me just say this. If you're under 30, you may need to think about this as the power of life and death in your thumbs. Because your thumbs may do more speaking than your mouths. Your thumbs may do more talking and communicating than your mouths ever do. And so you may need, as you hear me talk about the tongue or the mouth, you may need to be thinking about my thumbs and my texts and my communication and things that are there. But here's the thing. When you think about this verse, it's amazing to me. When you think about the book of Proverbs, it puts an enormous emphasis on our speech. Do you know there's over 90 Proverbs that deal with our speech, the things that we say. It's more than, the Bible, more than the book of Proverbs talks about sex. It's more than the book of Proverbs talks about money, talks about leadership, talks about marriage or parenting or any of these other things. It talks about speech more than it talks about anything else in, in the entire book of Proverbs. So really, when you think about this, it's an amazing thing to think that this lesson could really be considered a sermon on leadership. This could be a, considered a sermon on marriage or a sermon on... Dating, a sermon on how to be a good teammate, a sermon on what does it look like to be a good employer or employee, a sermon about how does it, what does it look like to be a good classmate or friend. It really covers every area in our speech, really affects every relationship that we have, which means that this is, this is applicable to everything in your life, that you don't go a day without needing the truth of Proverbs in this area of our lives. Proverbs, so let's get into it and see what we can learn. Proverbs 12, 18 says, The one whose rash words are like, uh, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Uh, Man, I love the the way Proverbs kind of cuts to the heart of things. And it really puts this kind of division. And anytime the the book of Proverbs speaks, it almost always just kind of divides things really cleanly and says, look, there's two ways you can go here. And it does that in, in this verse. When it just says, man, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the wise brings healing. We can go either way. So let's start with the dangers of the tongue and then we're gonna come around to the the good of of, of what our mouths can do a little bit later. I mean, we can use words like daggers, can't we? Anyone know the old nursery rhyme? Sticks and stones. Kids, can you help me out here? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Here's the problem. It's not true. It's just not true. I mean, I mean the scripture here just says it's, the words of a rash man can be like like daggers that penetrate and wound us. You notice here, it's also, it's, it's, it's an angry man. This is a rash man. This is someone who's, it says it's like sword. It's not a sword thrust. It's not singular, right? It's sword thrust. This is someone who's out of control. I mean, they're flailing around with a sword, um, hacking away at someone, doing all kinds of damage. And it's interesting. The verse calls them rash words. It means that they're not very well thought out. They're, you're really talking about words that are blurted out more than thought out, which is why Proverbs twelve, Proverbs twenty nine eleven says, "A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a quiet man quietly hold, a wise man quietly holds it back." What does it mean to give full vent to your spirit? When I mean, some of your spirit is talking about you know, whatever it is at your core that just wells up in you that you feel like man, I gotta get this out of me. And it says, and you just, you just turn it loose. It's like you let the lion out of the cage. You've got this lion who's roaring, he's inside and he's growling and he's hungry and he's there and you just throw the gate wide open and go, man, have at it. It just says that you take whatever that anger is inside of you, that rashness, that, that, that kind of brustness and you just turn it loose on everyone around you and you give full vent to it. You know, what's interesting for me is one of the lies that I think we buy into is that we think somehow we're obligated to let that stuff out. And, and we dress it up and put kind of nicer language on it. And so we say things like, like, man, I, um, like I just needed to get it out. Or when we're angry, we just say, well, I needed to blow off some steam. Or I just needed a vent and, and let it loose, cut loose a little bit, and kind of let all that stuff out. And so we have these things in us that we feel like we need to justify. And what's even worse, sometimes we Christians, I mean, we spiritualize it. And we put, we put, a, we put a nice label on it and say, man, someone needed to say what needed to be said. I'm just being honest. And I'm, I'm saying what everyone else is thinking. I'm saying the thing that you needed to hear. And really what you're doing is you're just giving full vent to the stuff that's raging on the inside of you but you want to justify it in some way. The problem with that is that the Bible calls it sin or foolishness. And see, there's a danger that the negative words, whether it be anger or gossip or slander or cut downs or whatever it is that we just justify it by putting a label on it and saying, man, I needed to let it out. When reality was, it says, we needed to quietly hold it back. I mean, Ray Ortlund, this cut me. He said, as Americans, we have a right to free speech, but when we become Christians, we enter a new culture where we surrender that right. We stop blurting out whatever we feel. It's not that you don't have a right to free speech. That's not the point. But the point is that whenever you wear the label of Christian, that somehow everything in your life becomes underneath or uh, come, is surrendered to his leadership and his guidance and his direction. So no longer you just feel free to, to vent anything that's there, but a wise man quietly holds it back and says, you know what, I'm gonna tame my tongue for the sake of the gospel. I'm gonna tame my tongue for the glory of Jesus. I'm gonna allow him to be the Lord over my mouth and over my speech and over my words and over the things that I say. A wise man quietly holds back some of the stuff that's there. We don't just let it all run run free and wild. It's interesting to me that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. In fact, I was thinking about this. How many of the of the, the fruit of the Spirit connect directly with this one topic of speech and anger. Somehow we are to be those who are dignified by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are to be the things that typify our lives because the presence of the Spirit in our lives. That doesn't mean we never feel angry. It doesn't even mean we never demonstrate anger. What it does mean is that we're not raging out of control but that somehow in a self-controlled, measured way where the Spirit of God is at work within us in a way that honors Jesus, we harness our emotions, we use them the way God would have us to use them rather than just giving vent, full vent to them. So let me give you another, another danger of the mouth that this, the Proverbs talk an awful lot about is gossip. Proverbs 18.8 says, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels that go down to the inner parts of the body. It says gossip there's something delectable about gossip. There's something pleasurable about having a bit of information that you internalize and you become an insider to something. You get, you get a little bit of inside information. And what Proverbs says is that somehow that's satisfying to us. There's something deeply satisfying about it. Some dark way we like knowing that others aren't perfect. I think mostly it speaks to our insecurities, Mostly what it says is because we're insecure about who we are, we'd like to know that maybe they're not any better than I am or maybe they struggle with all the things I do or maybe they struggle worse than I do so I can feel a little bit better about who I am. Or maybe it's not so much your insecurity, it's just your arrogance. You just think, man, I've got it something on them. I've got a running list of how I have not failed in ways others have failed. And so there's a little bit of a desire to, and if I keep tabs on everyone and I know what's going on, I know where their junk is, I know where their struggles are, I know where their, their tough spots are, then somehow I can feel a little bit better about myself, which is why I think Proverbs warns us and says the words of a whisperer are like delicious mor- morsels. It means a a whisperer is someone who says, hey, did you hear? Hey, did you know about hey, did you, did you read the thing about? And we kind of say it and there's like, no, tell me a little more. Like, can I have just a little more? And so we get in ourselves in an unhealthy place. An unhealthy person listening to gossip or tearing down another person seems, may not seem like a very big deal. It's interesting. I read one guy who was saying that, he said, you know, I, I've never he said adultery is considered really big sin. And friends, it is, and it will destroy your marriage and it will destroy your life. But it, it rarely will destroy a whole church. But gossip can destroy an entire church. and has by bucket loads. That is, people have talked and destroyed stuff, but somehow we take it and we don't think of it as a big sin. And yet Proverbs 17, four says, an evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Friends, true, sincere, honest, heartfelt words bring community together. But, but gossip and slander tear a community apart. And and they can destroy it very, very quickly. It's interesting. It takes two. You know, it takes an entire community working together for there to be a real sense of of warmth and love and togetherness. But it only takes two people to to break a community down. It takes one person to give give a voice to negative speech, and one to give an ear to negative speech and receive it. But oftentimes what I realize is we don't think of listening as, as a negative thing. We think of listening as kind of a passive thing. It's just like, well, I didn't know what to do. I just was listening. I didn't really say anything. I just was listening to what it is they said. And yet it's fascinating to me. It says, an evildoer listens to wicked lips. An evildoer, it says it's not passive. To give ear to gossip, to give ear to a mischievous tongue is actually an activity. We're actually accomplices. It means that listening is also guilty. If you've been around, not just churches, but if you've been around a workplace, if you've been around a team, if you've been around um, different, uh, different scenarios and in, in just any relationships you've got, one of the things you realize is there's, the, in, in any organization or any relationship or any group or any team, and there, it's really easy for someone to become the kind of this gravitational pull that attracts all the negative talk. That because they happen to listen to it, people just kind of find their way over and find their way whispering things into their ear. But they don't shut it down. And that really becomes a difficult thing that breaks up a community. Friends, don't, don't be the rallying point for complainers. Don't be the one who gives ear to those things, but be the one who shuts it down and says, hey, let's go have a conversation with the actual person. We want to watch out for what we, uh, what we sometimes call unholy trinities. And I'm all for the Trinity. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. We're for that, but there's unholy trinities, which is you, the person you have a problem with, and a third party that you bring in and invite into that. That's an unholy trinity. And we want to eradicate those and continue to go straight to the person with whom we have a, a difficulty. And don't you want our church to be a place where we don't have to look over our shoulders? Don't you want your family to be a place? Don't you want your workplace to be a place where you're free and relaxed and can just live? you're not having to dance, you're not having to justify, you're not having to explain away, you're not having to to navigate those worlds, but there's just a freedom. And Proverbs is inviting us to be that kind of a place and wants us to do that kind of thing. It's it's amazing. Uh, One commentator as I read this week said, you know, after Jesus died for us and he bought our salvation, he rose again and and kind of demonstrated his power over sin and over death, he, he... His his basic greeting for his disciples, and you see it three times in the book of John, is he goes to them and he says, peace be with you. Peace to you. That peace is sacred. That peace is blood bought. That peace was purchased by Jesus for us. No one has a right to disturb that peace. Not one of us has a a right to step into the peace Jesus made for us and say, hey, I want to disrupt and blow this peace up. But really we're to rest in it and learn to operate in it and allow the church to be a sanctuary for sinners and a healthy family for all those in our community to come in and find the kind of peace that Jesus wants to bring us friends when the results of our negative speech is that the trust gets eroded and what happens when trust gets eroded is you get what's called a trust gap between us Whenever negative speech there, you get this gap where no longer are we together, but there's this isolation, and and it makes it more difficult for us to cross that gap and really to trust one another. Friends, can we fight to be together in all things? Can we fight to be a community where the peace of Jesus is on display in everything, and where we have freedom to love one another without any kind of gap or any kind of uncertainty about that? And that's going to require grace. So what do we do about this? I think it's interesting. The book of James, um, talks about this. And we, we looked at some of, some of these verses, uh, not too long ago when we were in our study in the book of James, but it says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Friends, our words, our words can be dangerous. Whenever I see that, it always reminds me of this commercial from my childhood. Um, any of you know this guy? Not that one. Um, uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. There you go. Anyone know that guy? Yes. Smokey the Bear. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I, I was a little confused by the whole TV thing. Maybe I'm not the smartest guy around. But I, whenever they, they would look right in the eye and they talk to you, it felt like they were talking to me. You know. And so whenever I'd watch that commercial and, and Smokey would go, only you can prevent forest fires, I was usually kind of going like, me? what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm not even in the forest. Like, I'm sitting in my living room. I don't know where to go with that. And it's a little bit difficult to know exactly what, what, what do you want me to do with that? But whenever I think about this verse, I'm reminded of that. That whenever it comes to the church, only you can prevent the tongue from becoming a raging fire that tears things down. We have to be the ones that do something about that. That entire Smokey the Bear campaign was just trying to help people understand, look, fires don't stop typically start on their own. Most of these fires start because uh, something has gone wrong and someone didn't handle their stuff very well and something got out of control and it began to rage and cause great devastation. Friends, the same is true, James says, of our mouth, that when we don't control it well, that it also gets us in trouble. And you know what happens when we do that is there's three magic words that we really need to learn to say. I am Sorry. Friends, some of us need to say I am sorry to someone because we gossiped, because we slandered, because we've run them down, because we cut down, because we've not been gracious in their pain and their suffering and their sin and their struggle, because we've talked about them rather than talking to God for them. And some of us need to say I'm sorry. And some of us need to say I'm sorry a lot more in our families, to our kids, to our wives, to our coworkers. Um, to those that you've gotten sideways from in different contexts of life. Friends, let's be those that constantly are saying, I'm sorry. You know, the church is called to put Christ's love on display and we're told that that the way in which we treat one another will show off God's goodness to others. And if we're not those that fight for grace, that say we're sorry, that keep short accounts, that whenever we blow it and our mouth runs off and we give vent to those things, if we're not those that say, oh, I'm sorry, I gave vent to something that I really should have. I should have held it in and I didn't and I gave vent to it. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And we go and repent before the Lord, we repent before our, our friends and we restore that relationship. I and mean, in this culture, in this day and age, in this world, tell me that's not gonna be a countercultural thing of beauty. The people are not gonna look at it and go, what is going on over there that they can work through that stuff? that they can experience grace and forgiveness and 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 the love of Christ. I wanna know more about that Jesus. So friends, let's be those that constantly run to grace. So um, some heavy stuff there. Let's look at the other side. What does it look like for us to, uh, because there's some good stuff in Proverbs that's funny uh, at times, but also some stuff that's really helpful. Um, Once you've said, I'm sorry, once you've said, okay, I wanna go the right way, um, how do we kind of turn the corner on there? part of it is, is we need to understand that we really have, uh, that we, we can be smart in the way in which we talk to others. Uh, Proverbs twenty seven fourteen. one of my f- funny, one of the funny verses that makes me laugh in Proverbs, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Um, that is the favorite verse of introverts everywhere. Like, we all are like, yes, I've been saying that. You know, it's like, that is such a biblical idea. Would you guys shut up? It's too early. I don't want to hear it. It's, everything you say sounds like a curse in my ears right now. Uh, you ever wish people came with volume control? Like, you could pull out a remote and just be like, mm. you know, so then they're, you know, I, I think my parents do that to me. You know, they start to get the hearing aid thing. And I think there's sometimes they do, you know, sometimes there's got to be a good part of that where you just like, don't know right? Like you can just unplug it and like, I don't know what you said, but I'm, I'm happy. So that's all good. Um, but I, I think this verse is, is always funny. But what it's saying is you have to be smart and timing and tone and all those things play in and the way in which we talk, be smart in the way you communicate. So let's look at a couple of the good uses. Proverbs 20 verse 15 says, there's gold in abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. You know the feeling when you're listening intensely to someone who's dropping pearls of wisdom and you just think, man, I want, I want to make sure I don't miss anything they're saying. If you're wondering if it's inappropriate to like pull out a notebook and take notes wherever you are because you just don't want to miss whatever they're saying because you want to record it, because you just know, man, this guy has some wisdom or this gal has just got some wisdom about life that I just don't want to miss out on. It says it's, it's like a, that God looks at wisdom and wise words like a precious jewel, That are are a treasure for us. And one research um, study said that the average American speaks about 700 times per day. Now, I don't know how they measured that. If they measured like full length speeches or, or, you know, like if if every teenage boy's grunt counts as speech, you know, like I don't know exactly where they got that, but you think of 700 times a day, what would it it do for us if we begin to think, man, I've got 700 opportunities? to invest in something that's of a great, that God sees as a great treasure, that I I can kick these things out. You think of all these little games that you play on, on your phones or something else and you get these coins and you're like, ding, 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 ding. What if you had 700 coins you could drop every single day and say, I'm gonna make an investment in something good. I'm gonna speak truth. I'm gonna speak beauty. I'm gonna speak goodness. I'm gonna speak grace. I'm gonna speak love. And you just thought every single day, I got 700 chances to drop something beautiful in the world? Would it, change, would it change the way you think about the words that you speak? And you began to think about them. I think that's what God and what the book of Proverbs is trying to get us to understand is what if we looked at each act of speech as, a, as an investment? That we were putting chips in the bank every time we did that. Because it's interesting to me that God sees the things that we say whenever we, whenever we give wisdom. God sees those as rare and precious jewels. Proverbs 16, 23, 24 says, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Friends, we're gracious to others because God was gracious to us. But that, that's the foundation of our speech is that God comes to us and he says, I bless you and I want you to be a blessing to others. And because God has been gracious to us, we're gracious to others. And it says that that gracious word is so sweet that it's like a honeycomb that, that brings joy to those around us. And Christ said the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with everything that you are, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so when we think about applying that to our speech, what it means is that we see people who were created by God for God and they were made in the image of God. And even though, man, that face, the, the image of God may be defaced in them, it's not erased, that they're still beauty bearers in our world. And no matter what they've been through and no matter what they've done, they still bear the image of God in our world. And so we look at them as people who are praiseworthy because our God made them. He designed them, he knit them together and he put his stamp of approval on them and the fact that they bear his image. And so when we affirm the good that we see in others, we're really praising God for his handiwork. When we praise someone else with an eye that that would deflect and go to the Lord, we're really praising the Lord for what he's doing in them and for what he can do in them. And we're acknowledging the grace of God who made them, who sustains them, who sent his son to die for them and who offers a way of rescue for them. Sam Crabtree in his book, Practicing Affirmation, says, when our mouths are empty of the praise of others, it's probably because our hearts are full of love of self. If if you find it difficult to affirm, to, to bless, to offer encouragement to others, it probably means you're so turned inward that you can't see the beauty of God and what he's doing in them. And yet our words, it says that we're to add persuasiveness to our lips and gracious words are like a honeycomb. They bring sweetness to the soul and health to the body that all that we are inside and out, material and immaterial, is encouraged and lifted up whenever we give gracious words to others. I mean, can I just say, what would it look like for us to just start each day and say, I'm going to find three people to encourage today? Like, let's just start there. Say for three weeks, I'm going to try to encourage three people a day. I'm gonna wake up and the first thought I'm gonna have is who are the three that I'm gonna to encourage today? And then I'm gonna find a way to do that one way or another and just begin to see if that shapes us. And here's my challenge to you. If you did, if you encourage three people every day for three weeks and then just assess and go, man, did those days get better? Was, was it like sweetness to my soul and health to my body whenever I affirmed and encouraged and loved them? 'Cause here's what here's what we know and we hear this from psychologists and sociologists all the time, that we just tend to amplify the negative in our in our lives and we minimize the positive. We it's easy for us to hold on to criticism. It's easy for us to hold on to correction, it's easy for us to obsess about our failures, it's hard for us to see the other side. You know, my, we uh, as, as a family went to an apple orchard years ago and Ann took the boys and they were there and they were there for a long time and it was like the coolest apples ever and there was this great time with friends and they laughed and had a great time. Somewhere along the way though, my son Luke got uh, several bees got inside his shirt and began to sting him. And to this day, if you ask Luke, you say, hey, do you remember the apple orchard? And he was like, where I got stung by bees. That's all he remembers about there were hours that were there. That was a few short seconds, but that's the one thing that gets his attention. Friends, we hold on to our wounds. They're the things that, that we amplify in our minds. They're the things that sting us, that stay with us, that hurt us. Those, those daggers that we've endured, but it's really hard for us to sometimes move past those and see all the other things. So when you think about just the proportion of the things that come out of your mouth, What'd it look like? You know, we talk about the three to one or five to one or 10 to one ratio, that if your kids heard from you blessing and grace and goodness and affirmation and praise 10 times more than they heard correction and criticism, wouldn't that reshape the way they think about the world and the way they experience the world? And friends, I'll tell you like, this is hard for me. This is hard for me to do this. It's something I really have to work at and I really have to, submit myself to the Spirit's leading in the moment, day in and day out to do this. It's difficult work and I often fall short, but I think it's worth fighting for. I think it's something that's worth fighting for, for us. You know, the verse we looked at earlier said, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Friends, we're, we're called to be a healing presence in our marriages. We're called to be a healing presence in our friendships, we're called to be a healing presence in our small groups and in our parenting and in our work environments and on the teams we play on and in the social settings we run in. We're called to scatter throughout the city and just be a healing presence that offers gracious words of blessing to those around us and encourages them so that they might, they might come and say, tell me who frees you to do that. So well, let me tell you about the God who saved me and point them to him. But you know, sometimes we, we struggle to do this too. Here's, here's what I know. It's funny, it's like I can look out at some of you and I know, that I know the stories going on in your lives right now. And as I preach, I just look and I say, man, it, you're doing all you can to get through today, much less to wake up and go, how do I spew encouragement on everyone else? Like I'm just surviving here. There are times when you need to ask for help. When you need someone else to come and give you words and that's, that too is what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a place where we can come in and we find a voice of encouragement and gracious words for ourselves. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. And there's times when you feel weighed down and you need someone just to come offer a good word to you to speak truth to you, to speak God's love and his grace over you, that you might be born up in the middle of that moment. We need encouragement. And friends, sometimes you have to ask for help. Sometimes you have to text someone and say, dude, I'm not doing okay. And that's an invitation for someone to go, well, let me tell you what's true of you. Let me tell you what God says about you. Let me remind you of the truth of God's word. Let me pour gracious words over you that are sweet in the midst of your sorrow, not to minimize it, but just to, just, just to love on you in the middle of your struggle. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. The Christ, sometimes the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, but his brother's is sure. And there are times when Christ Christ doesn't change, but there are times when my confidence in Christ ebbs and flows and there are days when I need someone else to come to me and say, man, let me remind you of who Jesus really is. Let me be Christ for you. Let me, let me preach Christ to you. And you need friends like that. Friends, if you're not in a small group, if you don't have a community of friends, if you don't have people that, are, that will surround you and do that for you, if you don't have men or women that will encourage you in those kinds of ways, we want to connect you in those kinds of relationships because we know there's times when I need it, there's times when you're gonna need it, and none of us um, really skip through that difficult season, but we need to, have, we need to be in community. Last verse. Proverbs 10 11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life to you. You know, words really are meant to kind of be like like a tuning fork for the rest of our lives. they, they, They allow us to make beautiful music for others to hear, and it sets the tone. And it's the thing that ought to keep us in line. With the words we can hurt or heal, we can wound or worship, we can bless or curse. But we have an opportunity to do that, which is, is really good. And when we don't, we can say we're sorry and course correct and come back around and give it another go the next day. That's part of the rhythm of life. None of us are gonna do this perfectly. In fact, can I tell you this? Um, you're gonna blow it. I'm gonna blow it. We're all gonna blow it. We're gonna blow it to one another. And it sounds impossible right now because... We're singing great songs and we love each other and everything sounds great, but we're gonna blow it. And you're gonna go home and some of you are gonna blow it before you get home. You're gonna blow it getting your kid into the car. And you're gonna have to say, I'm sorry before lunch. Do you know there's only been one person who never spoke, misspoke in all of human history? His name is Jesus. And because he spoke so perfectly, honestly, we felt intimidated by him. We felt threatened by him. We felt exposed by him. We we, we felt kind of undone by him because his speech was always on cue. He lacked our hard-heartedness. He lacked our jadedness. He lacked our desire to get the inside scoop on someone. He lacked all of what is wrong with us and he demonstrated all that is good in God. And because of that, we killed him. And he, and he let us kill him. And you know why? Because he wanted to have a relationship with us. He wanted to speak blessings to us. So you know what we need more than anything else to to kind of gird up our hearts and allow us to do this well? We need to hear the voice of the voice of our Lord. We need to hear the voice of the words which he has spoken and the truth that's there. And as we hear his speech, it will change our hearts and then therefore change our speech and what comes out of us. So let me just remind you as as we come to the end here this morning of some of the things that God has said about us. God made us in Genesis. He created humanity. And he says, he created this world and he said, it is good, 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 and he got to us and he said, it is very good. Scripture says that before you were born, that he knit you together in your mother's womb, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That there's nothing that that, 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 that is in your life that he didn't create you to be. He says, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. He says, come, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. He says to you, peace be with you. I have come that you might have joy, that you might have my joy, and that your joy might be full. Would you just let these words penetrate your heart? you just let them wash over you as you think about the truth of God for you? He says to those of us who are prodigals, welcome home, my son. Let's celebrate for my son who was lost has now been found. Welcome home, my daughter. He says, I call you friends. He says, I'm coming very soon. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price because he purchased it for us. Says I am making all things new. One day he'll say, "Well done, good and faithful servant." God speaks truth to us, and we need to hear His speech. We need to experience the blessing, the grace, the goodness of it, and then we need to reflect that down to others. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for Your Word. Thank you for Your words of truth to us. Thank you for Your grace that's so evident in them. Father, might they resonate deep within us. Father, would you make us people whose speech is marked by grace, by goodness, by righteousness, by kindness, by mercy, by compassion. Father, by self-control, we might honor you in everything that comes out of our mouths, through our thumbs, and um, even the looks on our face. Father, would they honor you? as we communicate love to one another and to our world. Father, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.